Let's talk about how all this happened. It happened because we in the West don't understand our enemies and they know that and they exploit that. In 2004, President George W. Bush gave an address at the United Nations in which he said one of the most naive things any president has ever said. He said, this is a direct quote, when it comes to the desire for liberty and justice, there is no clash of civilizations. People everywhere are capable of freedom and worthy of freedom. The desire for freedom resides in every human heart. It's a direct quote from George W. Bush, 2004. That was idiocy then, and it's idiocy now. It is simply not true. People have many different priorities. For a lot of people, their priority is not freedom, Western notions of freedom. It's adherence to fundamentalist interpretation of Quranic law. For many, their priority isn't economic development. It's belief in the murder of Jews across the world. But this peculiar Western belief system that everyone wants freedom has led the West down two separate and equally stupid paths. Path number one, which we saw over the course of the last 25 years, was nation building. That's what happened in Afghanistan and Iraq. The West fooled itself into believing that tribal peoples with different priorities really, really wanted iPhones and sexual liberation. And that if we offered those things, they would welcome us with open arms. Instead of pursuing a realistic foreign policy designed to protect America's interests, we launched off into a utopian world of our own making and we failed. Yet we continue to pursue that path today. We continue to act as though, for example, it is Israel's job to build up the infrastructure in Gaza or provide them water and power, even while Hamas murders babies in their cribs and put its own civilians in harm's way. That's ridiculous, and it's going to fail. Path number two was the path of willful ignorance. You see, if we all have the same priorities, we can negotiate with anyone and everyone. In fact, everyone is reasonable. Everyone wants the same thing. Even if things get a little out of hand from time to time, even if a couple of weeks a year rockets fly from Gaza into Tel Aviv, that's just the frustration of reasonable people with reasonable priorities, and it's just all a cycle of violence. This path leads to failure and mass death. It lulls the West, including Israel, into a false sense of security. People who have different priorities, monsters like Hamas, take advantage. Today, I want to show you a tape. It's been released on RT, which is the Russian propaganda channel. It's an interview with senior Hamas official Ali Baraka. It just happened over the course of the last 48 hours. He explains everything that just happened. He explains what happened in this mass terror attack, the worst terror attack since 9-11 in the West, an intelligence failure that is way worse than 9-11, by the way. He explains everything. We need to go through it in detail so you can see just what a lie we all fell for. So many Americans fell for that everybody has the same priorities and why that big lie is going to get more innocent children, women and men murdered, raped and burned. So here is the tape. Again, this is a senior Hamas official on RT speaking in Arabic, talking about exactly how Hamas perpetrated this massacre. We're going to stop and start it because we need to explain exactly what he is saying in detail. He's just saying all the quiet parts out loud. In the past couple of years, he says Hamas has adopted a rational approach. It did not go into any war and did not join the Islamic Jihad in its recent battle. But all of this was Hamas's strategy in preparing for this attack. Of course, we made them think that Hamas was busy governing in Gaza, that it wanted to focus on the 2.5 million Palestinians in Gaza and has abandoned the resistance altogether. All the while, under the table, Hamas was preparing for this big attack. Pause it there for a second. Okay, so let me point out right from the outset, he is saying right from the outset, it was a lie. We never cared about the 2.5 million Palestinians who are now hearing about living in Gaza because this is this is the game. They play on you believing that they care so that when Israel strikes at Hamas targets and hits the civilians that Hamas is deliberately putting in the way, then it's Israel's fault. Because after all, what, what kind of human beings wouldn't care if their own babies are getting killed? And the answer is Hamas. As far as the notion that Hamas was ever a reasonable actor, Israel lulled itself into a sense of complacency about this. Well, sure, they'll launch a few rockets every so often, you know, mostly just to prove to their own people that they're still a terrorist group. But in reality, they want, they want to be like a normal governing power. They actually want to be a normal governing power. That is a lie. It is a lie. Every bit of money that flowed into Gaza over the course of the last 20 years was used by Hamas for purposes of murdering Jews. All that money was being used by Hamas for purposes of murdering Jews. Let's continue with the tape. He says, where would Netanyahu take the Israelis who are attacked? To Tel Aviv? We bombed Tel Aviv on the first day of the attack. Does he want to take them to the Galilee? The northern front with Lebanon has opened today. The Galilee is no longer safe for the Zionist enemy. We can bomb the Galilee from inside occupied Palestine. In order to keep the attack secret and successful, he says, the different factions and our allies did not know the zero hour. But after half an hour, all the Palestinian resistance factions 
were contacted, as were our allies in Hezbollah and Iran. Okay, pause it there for a second. They have state sponsorship. The Turks, he says, were also notified. They had state sponsorship and state sign-off from Iran, from Hezbollah. As soon as it was going, they, they let all these people know. The Turks, Iran, Hezbollah. Those are all parties that have the same exact world priority as Hamas, who don't care about their own citizens. I mean, just look at what's going on in Iran literally every day of the week. Look at how Lebanon, which was once considered a rose in the Middle East, has devolved into complete chaos and tyranny. He continues. A meeting was held with them three hours later at 9 a.m. We updated anyone who contacted us. Even the Russians sent a message and inquired, he says. And they were updated about the situation and about the goals of the war. Soon the Russians were brought into the loop. It was all planned, in other words. The most important part of what the senior Hamas official is saying is the very first part. They don't give a good damn about the people in Gaza. They don't care. It was all a lie. They don't care. In fact, they say they don't give any about their own people. They don't. They don't care. In fact, the highest aspiration is death. I'm not saying that. They say that. They say it and they say it out loud and they assume that you are so sophisticated that you know better than they do what they are thinking and saying. They say it right to your face. They say it directly to your face. And then you're like, no, no, it can't be. It just can't be. Must be the Israelis fault somehow. Here is again, senior Hamas official Ali Baraka yesterday on RT saying exactly the priorities, exactly what the priorities are. The Israelis are known to love life, he says. We, on the other hand, sacrifice ourselves. We consider our dead to be martyrs. The thing any Palestinian desires the most is to be martyred for the sake of Allah, defending his land. We've been preparing for this for two years. Okay, that's enough. That's the thing. Okay, right there. He just says it. And this has been the line. By the way, this is the line in all of the radical Islamic fundamentalist world. It's the line for PA. It's the line for Islamic Jihad. It's the line for Hamas. It's the line for Hezbollah. It's the line for Iran. They love life. We love death is their line. That is their line. So when you say, why, do, why don't they care about their kids? Maybe the way they care about their kids is that when their kids die, they think that they're martyrs. They think they've done something good, apparently. We don't care about our people is a way of saying we, we care about their souls, you see. You see, it's a different kind of logic, as Robert Malley might say. It's a different kind of thought. Okay, but in traditional Western thought, the way you care about your kids is not by killing them. And the way that you care about your citizens is not by putting them directly in the line of, a, of an airstrike so that you can sit underground waiting to kill Jews. But they don't think like we do. That's the whole point. And they know that you won't believe them. They know you won't believe them. They can say it directly to their own people. They can say it clearly on TV over and over. And you still won't believe them. That's how stupid they think you are. And by the way, that's how stupid the West is. The West is so stupid that we believe that in the end, this can be negotiated with. That in the end, whatever human rights atrocities happen in Gaza as a direct result of Hamas doing what it is doing right now. And it is a human rights atrocity to put your headquarters under a hospital. It is a human rights atrocity to plant your weapons underneath mosques. It is a human right atrocity to put weaponry in schools and kindergartens, which is something Hamas does. But they know that you won't believe they're doing it. You won't believe it because it'll boggle your mind. But you will believe that the Jews are the bad guys. That's what they're counting on. That you will believe that the Jews are the bad guys. Even after the Jews get slaughtered in their beds, you will believe that if only the Jews had just given a little more, only a little more. Now, this does betray something else about the West and latent Jew hatred that exists across the West because let's be real about this. None of this conversation was happening after 9-11. When a lot of conversation in the United States about, well, you know, when we go in and we bomb from 30,000 feet and we kill a load of civilians, the real question is the human rights. Are we being careful enough? Should it be a short-term, short duration? After you kill 3,000 Americans, you know what happens? We flatten you. That's what happens. But when Israel has its borders permeated by terrorists who murder 12, 1,300 Jews, murder 1,300 Jews in a widespread assault lasting hours on end. When that happens, then it's like, well, those Jews, man, you know, they, they really, they really got to be a little more careful, those Jews. Why, why can't they just be more careful? If only they had given a little bit harder. There, there's something going on that is simply beyond Western ignorance. And it gets into a, 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 something much deeper and darker. And by the way, everyone bought it. Everyone on the left at least bought it. And people who said that it wasn't true, those people were marginalized. People who said, wait, no, no, no. Hamas, it's true the Palestinian Authority too. They care significantly more about killing Jews than they care about the well-being of their own citizens. Everybody in the West went, no, that can't be true. 
That can't be true. Here, for example, is Robert Malley. So Robert Malley was, until the last five minutes, the Biden negotiator with Iran. Robert Malley is so radical that in 2008, Barack Obama selected him as a foreign policy advisor to his campaign. And he had to be thrown off of the campaign in 2008 because he was holding secret conversations with Hamas. This is back in 2008. So the Biden administration brought Robert Malley back in to hold conversations with Iran. And then, as it turns out, Robert Malley very well may have been effectively a spy for the Iranians. Here is Robert Malley, so co-opted by the perspective that everyone is reasonable, everyone is rational, they're all on the same side. Here is Robert Malley describing Hamas and Hezbollah just a, just a few years ago. It's a mistake to only think of them in terms of their uh, terrorist violence dimension. Their social political movements, probably the most rooted movements in their respective societies. Hamas, not a majority among Palestinians by any means, but very deeply rooted. It's been, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it was born in the first uh, Palestinian Intifada in the, in the 1980s. It has deep loyalty. It has, it has a charity organization, a social branch. It's not something you can defeat militarily mm. either. And people need to understand that. There's so much misinformation about them. I mean, I, 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 I speak to them my, and my colleagues speak to them. Now, we may disagree with them, but they have their own rationality. That's the one thing to understand. These are not, none of them are crazies. They may do things that we consider to, to belong to a different realm of rationality, but within their own system, it's often very logical. It's often very logical. And you see, they, they do social work, does Hamas. So they're like legitimate people that we can have conversations with. This has been the governing philosophy of the West in many parts of the right, as well as the left, for the last several decades when it comes to the Middle East. And it was all a lie. It was clearly a lie. And it's a self-flattering lie because it, it gives you the off-ramp. Everybody wants a solution to every problem. I get it. I also want solutions to every problem. Not every problem has a good and easy solution, particularly not a good and easy solution that involves you sitting down at a table and writing some words and signing a piece of paper. It is not a shock, therefore, that Robert Malley, who was placed on leave earlier this year for allegedly mishandling classified material, it turns out, that he was probably in bed with the Iranians. According to the New York Post, the Biden administration's former special envoy to Iran should face extensive scrutiny for his permissive stance toward the Tehran regime after it aided Hamas and Hezbollah in carrying out terrorist attacks against Israel, critics said on Monday. Representative Daryl Issa of California told the New York Post, Robert Malley deserves extensive scrutiny yesterday, today, and tomorrow. After the Wall Street Journal reported that Iran was implicitly involved, and by the way, Hamas again saying that Iran was involved in all of this. ISIS said Mali and others created an incredibly permissive environment for Hamas, for Iran to do all of these things. That is Gabriel Naranja, former special advisor on Iran at the State Department. Naranja served under Secretary of State Mike Pompeo under Trump, said Mali and his negotiating team, quote, purposefully funneled billions of dollars to Iran through lack of sanctions enforcement and provision of sanctions relief that has given them somewhere between 50 and 80 billion dollars over the last two and a half years alone. A senior House Republican aide told the New York Post the cash influx followed an even more generous payout of $1.7 billion that the Obama administration made to Iran in 2016. Okay, and this is all driven, again, by that myth, by that myth that they all think like we do. We don't understand our enemies. And so we assume that they actually care about their own people, but they don't care about their own people. And again, this has pervaded the entire left. Judith Butler, feminist theorist, who for sure would be dead if she lived in Hamasistan. If she lived in the Gaza Strip, Judith Butler would have been tossed off a building decades ago. Here is Judith Butler defending Hamas. I think, uh, yes, uh, uh, understanding uh, Hamas, Hezbollah as uh, social movements that are progressive, that are on the, on the left, that are part of a global left, is extremely important. That does not stop us from uh, being critical of certain dimensions of um, both movements. It doesn't... In certain um, dimensions. It doesn't stop those of us who are interested in nonviolent politics from raising the question of um, uh, uh, of whether there are other options besides violence. Um, so again, uh, a, cr a critical, important engagement. I mean, I certainly think it should be entered into the conversation on the left. There it is. Judith Butler standing for Hamas and Hezbollah, who would certainly murder her if she were living in their territory. Now, the reason that this is all relevant is because all of the narrative in the current Middle East situation is going to shift very quickly. And it's going to shift very quickly because people go back to their political priors. Their political priors very often are just oriented toward the hands-off, don't care, cycle of violence, what, who am I to take sides? I don't know anything, that, that bull. And, and people have the blinders stripped from their eyes for just a moment and then they'll go right back to priors because this is what people do. Since biblical times, when God literally spoke to the Israelites and then five seconds later they were building a golden calf, 
This is how people are. For just a moment in time, clarity strikes them, and then the clarity goes away, and they go right back to what they were doing five seconds ago. And so the way that that is going to take place is you're going to see a bunch of people who express tremendous sympathy for the now 1,300 dead Jews in Israel. They're going to uh, express sympathy for the parents of the burned babies. They're going to express sympathy for the husbands of the raped wives and the kidnapped. They're, they're going to express sympathy for that. And then the entire narrative is going to shift because Israel is going to do what it has to do in order to stop Hamas from ever being a threat to its citizenry, again, as any normal nation would. You're already starting to see it on social media. All of the, all of the narrative has now shifted toward What's happening in Gaza? It's so terrible what's happening in Gaza. Now, the only way to make that shift is if you assume that what's happening in Gaza is now Israel's fault, as opposed to it's Hamas's fault. Now, here is how to think about this morally. If I burn down your house and murder your children, and then I go back to my house and I hide behind my child, and the police show up to arrest me or to shoot me, and I hide behind my child, it is my responsibility that I'm hiding behind my child. That would be my fault, right? I would be the evil actor in this scenario. And you would not call off the attempt to arrest or shoot me if I had burned down your house and murdered your child. You would not. No person would. It's insane to suggest otherwise. But the world is immediately going to shift into that mode. Now, here's the problem. Hamas, as the senior Hamas official says, they've spent the last two and a half years building up for precisely the scenario. A big question, easy question. If Hamas had not been building for this scenario, how are rockets still today, five days after these attacks, being fired into Israel? What does that mean? It means they have an extensive terror network underground. They built this extraordinary tunnel network using every bit of cement they could find over the last 20 years that was supposed to be used for building infrastructure. But again, they don't give a shit about the people living in Gaza. And so they took all of that and they built a bunch of tunnel systems. They're living down there with their air conditioning and their generators. And meanwhile, on the surface, they're telling people not to leave the populated areas that Israel is going to have to clear and bomb so as to prevent this thing from turning into urban warfare. That is their goal. So Israel is doing what it has to do. What Israel is doing, militarily speaking, is they are clearing the ground. They're blowing up all these buildings and they're essentially turning it into flat ground. And then they're going to have to go into the ground invasion and they're going to have to smoke out Hamas terrorists who are hiding underground in these tunnels. That's what's going on right now. And the world is going to instead decide that because Hamas is literally telling civilians not to leave the area so that they get killed, that Israel is supposed to call off its attack and leave Hamas in place, leave Hamas in power, which, by the way, is an impossibility. It is an impossibility on every score. The reason it's an impossibility is twofold. One, you simply, for reasons of, of justice and decency, cannot let the people who just murdered your children live. You can't do that. And two, the way that policy works in the Middle East is that every demonstration of military weakness is an encouragement of further violence. If Hamas is still ruling the Gaza Strip at the end of all of this, the chances that Hezbollah is going to launch an invasion from the north at some point are extremely high, like the first available opportunity, because there will be a sense that Israel is vulnerable. Israel's invulnerability was its greatest asset, and that invulnerability was punctured by a bunch of terrorists rushing through the border and killing babies. That's, that's what has just happened. And so Israel has to restore that sense of invulnerability, impregnability, and military stability. That's what Israel has to restore here. So on the ground, they actually have to restore the situation. And then to a broader world of radical Muslims who wish to murder every Jew in their bed, they have to restore the idea that if you cross us, we will kill you. Right. That, that's what Israel has to do here. And the world is immediately shifting back into cycle of violence mode. You can see it happening in real time. And they are doing so despite the fact that, again, everything that is happening in the Gaza Strip is the fault of Hamas. Everything. Let me take a quick example. So right now, Israel has turned off the water and the power. And they've announced the water and power in the Gaza Strip are going to remain off until Hamas releases the hundred or so hostages that they are currently holding. And already you're starting to hear rumblings from the world. Oh, well, that, that, isn't that collective punishment? And the answer is, well, when Hamas has honeycombed itself into these areas, how exactly would you expect Israel to accomplish its goals? I wasn't aware that um, after you murder everybody's, everybody's children, they have an obligation to provide you water and power. I was under the weird impression that Israel has a moral obligation greater than the governing body of the Gaza Strip to the Gazan citizens to protect them. Israel's using that responsibility, by the way, by actively warning people out of these areas, trying to push people out of the areas. One of the reasons for turning off the water and power is because the only people right now in these areas who have water and power are the people underground. Everyone else doesn't have water and power. You turn off the water and power, presumably people will leave because they don't have water and they don't have power. And so they will leave those areas. And everybody who's underground in the tunnels who does have water and power, because again, they misdirected every piece of money, every piece of material into building these terror tunnels. Those people will remain. That's the entire strategy. But the world is, of course, going to shift into decrying Israel mode. 
Oh, their military tactics are too... Bro- oh, it's too terrible. And it's a moral equivalent. It's the same thing if Israel attempts to bomb a Hamas headquarters and Hamas hides behind a child as if Hamas breaks into Israel and then, once again, burns entire families in their homes. Exactly the same thing. And that's what Hamas is counting on because, again, they're counting on the idea that they are like you and that you will look at what they're doing and say, no one, no one would do that. No one would tell their own civilians to stay in harm's way. Israel has spent the last... 20 years, building bomb shelters so that every time a rocket flies into Israel, it's either shot down by Iron Dome or people go into the bomb shelters. Hamas used that as a tactic. That was part of their tactic here, is that Israel cares enough about its own citizens that when the rockets start flying, Israel does not leave its own citizens out there. Israel sounds the alarms. Everybody goes into the bomb shelter. And that's when Hamas broke through the walls. That was the entire tactic. So what exactly happened? What, there's an unasked question that I think needs to be asked here. People are, Israel is cutting off the water. I have a question. Why doesn't Gaza have water? Real question, why doesn't Gaza have water? You may have noticed if you live in the United States or any other decent country, that if you live in a far-flung village on a hill somewhere, you have water and you have power. Isn't that weird? Like, how does that happen? And the answer is, typically speaking, it is not wildly expensive to provide water and power. It actually isn't. Certainly not for the amount of money that's been flowing into the Gaza Strip over the course of the last 20 years. So here's what actually happened with the water and power in Gaza. Hamas stole all of the money. And they let people have undrinkable water. Not only did they let people have undrinkable water, they literally banned their own citizens in 2015 from digging wells to get water because they don't give a about Palestinian civilians. They don't care. They don't care. Again, there is a there is an underground aquifer in the Gaza Strip. But Hamas did not manage the private wells. So the aquifer was then polluted by overpumping and wastewater contamination. And again, Hamas was shipped water pipes to rebuild its water infrastructure and its sewage infrastructure. What exactly did they do? According to the UK Telegraph, they literally took the pipes that were meant to move potable water in and out of populated areas and sewage out. And they used them to build rockets. This is according, this is a, this is a film from the Hamas military wing. Okay, and it actually shows them taking pipe that was shipped in, in foreign aid, cutting it up and using it, relaving it, to make rockets to fire at Jews and kill them. That's what Hamas does. That's evil on two scores. One, the attempt to kill Jews, obviously. But two, you care so little about your own population that you won't give them water to drink. You won't give them water to drink. And then it's Israel's responsibility. So you spend the last 20 years having money shipped to you to to build water and power infrastructure. You take all that money, use it on guns, terror tunnels, rockets, And then you have the gall to suggest that Israel, the people you just murdered, have a responsibility to provide to you the water and the power. I'm going to need I'm going to need an explainer on that one. Here's the video, by the way, from Hamas of what they do with the water pipes that are shipped into them as aid. This is according to the UK Telegraph. The EU helped build more than 30 miles of water pipelines for Palestinians. And then Hamas boasted of their ability to forge an arsenal of homemade rockets from water pipes. They literally put out a video of them carving up the water pipes wearing Hamas headgear. And then they, and according to the UK Telegraph, Brussels has poured almost 100 million euros into pipeline projects in territories controlled by Hamas over the last decade. And these are videos that Hamas itself put out of relaving the water pipes into rockets to fire at Jews. That is not Jewish propaganda. That is Hamas propaganda. Meanwhile, the EU is still thinking of sending more aid to, to these people. It's like unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Again, like, it's not as though any of this was a secret. According to All Monitor, which is a uh, which is a left wing organization, they say that Hamas banned water wells. This is back in 2021. Quote: Palestinians living this is Rasha Abu Jalal writing, no right wing Jew. Palestinians living in the border areas of the Gaza Strip rely on wells to secure drinking water and to irrigate their crops. As Hamas run local municipalities failed to assume their responsibility to supply water to these areas. In an August 25th statement, the Hamas-affiliated Water and Environmental Quality Authority announced a ban against the digging of water wells in all Gaza governance under the direct pretext of fighting a severe decline in groundwater levels and quality due to over-exploitation of the aquifer into which the wells are drilled. The authority said its decision is based on the Palestinian Water Law No. 3 of 2002, which prohibits unlicensed drilling. Okay, but there's a problem. The authority called on all citizens who already drilled water wells to rectify their legal status in the next three months, obtaining a license. But Gazans believe the ban is designed only to obtain money in exchange for issuing license for drilling wells in the first place. 
Nabil Sultan, a resident of Al Ghal border area in the northern Gaza Strip, told Omaner, I've been living in the area for seven years. The houses are not connected to the water supply or sewage network, so we mainly rely on drilling wells to obtain water. He said the decision would mean that people die of dehydration. These are the, by the way, according to the deputy head of the Palestinian Water Authority, this is 2021, his name is Mazen Albana. He told Almonitor that there are 10,000 water wells in the Gaza Strip, including 300 wells for the municipalities, 2,700 wells for the agricultural sector, and 7,000 private wells the citizens drilled without obtaining a proper permit. What are the water sources in Gaza? Quote, there are three sources for water in Gaza. 92% of the water is secured from the aquifer. 6% is purchased from Israel. 2% through seawater desalination. So in other words, they botched the entire water aquifer process and they stole all the material and they used it for mill. And now, and now when there's a human rights problem, because there's not enough water there, whose fault is it? The Israelis? Of course, of course. Meanwhile, by the way, you've noticed a lot of talk about Palestinian civilians and, and the danger that they are in. You know, who knows that Israel, which is why, again, they've been issuing day after day after day texts and radio, radio messages and internet messages telling people to get out. And people are like, well, where are they going to go? Well, you may notice if you have eyeballs in a map that actually the Gaza Strip has two borders. It has a border in the north and the, and the east, which is with Israel. And then it has a southern border. That southern border is with another Arab Muslim country. Why? What a, what a nice coincidence. And another Arab Muslim country who must take in its brothers if they wish to preserve their lives. These are innocent civilians, after all. That country is called Egypt. That country is called Egypt. And um, I noticed that... Um, I noticed that Egypt was asked to provide a corridor for civilians. And you know what Egypt said? They said, no, we're not providing a corridor. That's what they said. Quote, this is the Jerusalem Post. Egypt has discussed plans with the United States and others to provide humanitarian aid through its border with Gaza Strip, but rejects any move to set up safe corridors for refugees fleeing the enclave. You want to know why? Because they are afraid that those civilians are honeycombed with Hamas terrorists who will then endanger the stability of the Egyptian regime. You know why they might think that? Because, let's see, Palestinian refugees put in danger the stability of the Jordanian regime, which resulted in Black September in the 1970s and the expulsion of tens of thousands of Palestinians from there. They then completely wrecked the regime in Lebanon, turning again a stable Christian-ruled country into a disaster trash heap. They've completely taken over the Gaza Strip and wrecked it. This would be the, the PLO followed by Hamas. And Egypt is like, uh, no, we're not interested. So... According, so according to the international community, increasingly, the way this works is that the people who are responsible for every aspect of Arab Muslim security in the Gaza Strip are the Jews who just got murdered by Hamas. That's the logic here. That's because, and why wouldn't they be? Because after all, aren't we all the same types of people? Aren't we all the same types of people? I, I would just like to point out at this point once more. No, we are not. No, we are, and you know who says we are not? The commanders of Hamas. Here's Hamas commander Mahmoud al-Zahar. This is 2002 explaining the goals of Hamas. When we speak about the army of Jerusalem, the battle of the promise of the hereafter, we are not talking about liberating our land alone. He says, we believe in what our prophet Muhammad said. Allah drew the ends of the world near one another for my sake. And I have seen its eastern and western ends. The dominion of my nation would reach those ends that have been drawn near me. The entire 510 million square kilometers of planet Earth will come under a system where there is no injustice, no oppression, no treachery, no Zionism, no treacherous Christianity. And no killings and crimes like those being committed against the Palestinians and against the Arabs in all Arab countries, in Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and other countries. Are they being unclear? I'm just confused. But they're like you. Robert Malley says that they have their own system of logic, but they're just like you. Meanwhile, they're, they're screaming in your face that they're not like you. They don't give a crap about their own children. They keep saying Gaza is half kids. That's true. So you know what you do if your population is half kids? You don't stack your kids on top of the terror tunnels. You don't hide your rockets inside hospitals. That's exactly what they're doing. You don't deprive those people of water and power on your own. You, you were the municipal authority. This was your actual job for 20 years. And then start a terror war that results in retaliation in which the water and power are not available to anyone except the fighters living underground, the terrorists living underground. 
By the way, just to, just to show you how much Hamas cares about the civilians, what exactly are they? Um, what exactly are they worried about? So, Khalid Mashal, the leader and founding member of Hamas, gave a speech yesterday, and he asked Muslims around the world for help. What did he ask for? Did he ask for a humanitarian corridor, for example, to allow civilians out of Gaza? No. Did he ask for any sort of real financial help for, for example, the refugees in Gaza? Of course not. He called for four things, quote, to show anger, especially next Friday, so that'd be this Friday, in Muslim countries and also among Muslim diaspora around the world. He called it the Friday of Al-Aqsa flood. And he said this will send a message of rage to Zionists and America, which is why every synagogue in the region, in America, across the world, is uh, taking up new security measures on Friday, as well they should. By the way, the, the, the ridiculous propagandizing of Al-Aqsa, is, is, it's absurd. The only people who have freedom of worship on the Temple Mount are Muslims. Period. End of story. I've been on the Temple Mount multiple times. I'm not allowed to pray there openly. Jordan Peterson's wife, when we went up there, was forced to hide her cross. But don't worry, guys. It's, it's, it's really, it's, it's, the, it's an invasion. of. In any case, he says he asked for financial help from all Muslims around the world to help with their money. He called it financial jihad. He asked Muslims to give to whom? Who did he ask Muslims? To the refugees? To the, to the fathers and mothers of the babies being, being killed in these airstrikes? Nope. To the fighters of Gaza in order to compensate them for the destruction to the terrorists. He asked political pressure from Muslim leaders in Muslim nations to stop Israel's military invasion of Gaza. Again, no ask from them for, you know, some sort of resources for the millions of refugees who are going to be created by their terror war. And the most important thing, quote, he asked all Muslims around the world to carry jihad by their souls to fight and be martyrs for Al-Aqsa. He wants Muslims to fight against the Jews, starting with Muslims who live in the countries surrounding Israel, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, and Egypt to go to the borders and try to enter each by their own means. So he wants more border incursions, which will get civilians killed. People will walk to the border. Israel cannot let people cross those borders and people will die. And he wants that for the press because he knows that the gullible, stupid Western press will then pretend that this is a massacre on the part of the Israelis as opposed to an attempted invasion by Hamas. He said, this is the time for jihad to be applied on the ground rather than just in theory. He asked the Mujahideen to go in long caravans to spill their blood on the land of Palestine. He said, funds are important, but today we are asking for your blood and souls. So the question as to what comes next is still very much an open one. Uh, Iran obviously knew that Hamas was planning the attacks. The United States is claiming that Iran didn't really know the, the scale or the size of the attack, but obviously they're providing all of the resources. They're the single biggest funder of Hamas. Joe Biden, again, the Biden administration has had ongoing negotiations with the government of Iran for years at this point. They've handed them billions of dollars in assets. It's one reason for them to downplay exactly what happened here. Meanwhile, Hezbollah is the single biggest recipient of Iranian foreign aid. They receive $700 million a year from Iran. Its missile stockpile runs to 100,000 or more. And those rockets are significantly more accurate and, and deadly than, than the Hamas rockets. You know, all of this bodes very ill for the possibility of avoiding a regional war unless, unless the West makes clear this thing has to stay contained. On the Israeli side, Benjamin Netanyahu has now formed a unity government with Benny Gantz. So all of the talk about all the divisions in Israeli society that we've been covering for the last year and a half, all of that stuff went away immediately. I think one thing that's really important to note here, and again, I have tons of friends and family on the ground in Israel, my wife's family, particularly tons of them on the ground in Israel. Um, the unity in Israel among the citizens has literally never been greater. The response of Israelis to this is absolutely astonishing. People are showing, people are flying back in. They're packing El Al flights back in if they're abroad in order to rejoin the Israeli military reservists who have been called up. Many reservists who have not been called up, they have 150% reporting rate. So literally more people are reporting than have been called up for duty. Civilians are showing up at military bases with food, with, with clothing, with sleeping bags, with whatever is necessary. If the reservists don't have proper equipment, people are, are right now in pretty much every community, every Jewish community across the world, organizing shipments of that into Israel. The, the social solidarity in Israel and the morale in terms of unity has never been higher. Everybody is, of course, deeply disturbed by what happened. Everybody is in a state of mourning, but everybody also understands what has to be done over there. And the videos that have emerged from, from Israel of, of the unity are truly amazing. People who five seconds ago were at each other's throats over things like judicial reform, all of that's gone by the wayside. And one of my favorite videos is a video of a Tel Aviv restaurant. Tel Aviv is a very left-wing area of Israel. Tel Aviv restaurants, which are very secular and they're not real big on the Orthodox, they have koshered their kitchens because they want to make sure that the Orthodox can actually eat food from their restaurants. 
That, that's what's happening. Meanwhile, Benjamin Netanyahu, he has now suggested that the goal is to entirely wipe Hamas off the map, which, of course, it must be for both strategic and geopolitical reasons. You have to wipe Hamas off the map because you have to make sure that they can't do anything remotely like this again. And also, Israel has to restore deterrence because if the deterrence is not restored, then this is only the beginning for the state of Israel. Meanwhile, as you can see, all of the all of the worst actors in the world are calling for an immediate ceasefire. Of course, Beijing called for an immediate ceasefire, which is absurd. That is not going to happen. Israel has not even begun at this point. Israel also today had to bomb the airport in Damascus and Aleppo. They had to do that because there was a massive Iranian shipment of arms that was coming in. The strikes targeted runways at the airport to prevent this Iranian flight from landing in Aleppo to ship more weapons over to Hezbollah. An Iranian Mahan air flight that was about to land in Syria turned back to Tehran. According to the Jerusalem Post, the Mahan air is usually used to transport weapons, operatives, and funds for the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and Hezbollah into the region. The political response from the United States has been split. It's virtually lar- large swaths of it in, in both parties are pro-Israel. To this point, the rhetoric from the Biden administration has been absolutely correct. And it should be considering that 22 Americans were murdered in this terrorist attack. And there are currently many hostages who are Americans being held in the Gaza Strip. John Kirby, the national security spokesperson, he reported on this yesterday. I think we all need to steel ourselves for the very distinct possibility that these numbers will, will keep increasing uh, and that we may, in fact, find out that um, more Americans uh, are part of the hostage pool. Well, the Americans obviously have a, a rather large interest. We, as Americans, have a rather large interest in getting our hostages back. And certainly on a geopolitical level, we have an interest in, one, avoiding a regional war that will undoubtedly break up. It's going to happen, okay? If there's a, there will be a regional war. If Israel does not destroy Hamas, there will be a regional war. It is that simple. Because if they can't destroy Hamas, Hamas will declare victory. Hezbollah will get in. If Hezbollah gets in, Israel will have to destroy Hezbollah. If Israel has to destroy Hezbollah, Syria and the rest of Lebanon will get in. And if they get in, very large possibility Iran gets in. The, the domino effect has to be stopped right now. And the only way to stop that is by containing this war and allowing Israel to wipe Hamas off the map. That is the only way this happens. Right now, the Biden administration is, is making the right sounds. Here was Secretary Lloyd Austin yesterday talking about Israel's duty to defend itself. Additional U.S. military aid to Israel started flowing in yesterday, including key munitions. And we'll be providing more uh, Iron Dome interceptors so that Israel can protect its citizens and cities. And we'll continue to ensure that Israel has what it needs to keep itself and its citizens safe. Like any other country, Israel has the right to defend itself. As the president says, Israel has a duty to defend itself. And make no, no mistake, the United States will remain able to project power and to direct resources to tackle crises in multiple theaters. This is why presumably the United States has now moved two aircraft carriers into the Mediterranean And Joe Biden is warning people, do not get involved. Here is Joe Biden talking to Iran yesterday. He said, you better be careful. You know, I spoke with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu for I don't know how many times, but again this morning. And uh, already we're we're surging additional military assistance to the Israeli Defense Force, including ammunition, interceptors to replenish the Iron Dome. And we moved the U.S. carrier fleet to the eastern Mediterranean and we're sending more fighter jets there in that region and made it clear, made it clear to the Iranians, be careful. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they'd best be careful because, again, if this does broaden out, the consequences are going to be disastrous for everyone involved, but mostly for the Iranian regime. Meanwhile, of course, the, the response from People on the right has largely been correct. Ron DeSantis, of all the candidates, he and Nikki Haley have, of course, had the strongest responses. Uh, Ron DeSantis' response yesterday was excellent. Here was Ron DeSantis talking about what Israel needs to do in the Gaza Strip. I I wondered, as a veteran, what do you think that should look like? So I think the reason why we've gotten to this point is because for decades, Israel would respond to acts of terror, but they would be very careful to do it in ways that were considered, quote, a proportionate 
and that would not get them uh, international condemnation because the minute they start doing anything, they're always under the microscope. Yeah. Uh, I think in this situation, we in America, we just got to stand with them. The goal should not be a, quote, proportionate response. It should be the elimination of Hamas and the terrorist infrastructure that has grown up uh, in Gaza. And so that will be something that will be more significant than what Israel's been willing to do in the past. I think they're more than capable of doing it. That, of course, is uh, exactly, exactly right. Meanwhile, President Trump, who, again, was an excellent president for Israel, the best president in Israel's history for Israel, um, they, they just the narcissism of him is is obscures his actual political accomplishments. This is a guy who did the Abraham Accords. This is a guy who gave Israel the aid that it needed in the middle of rocket wars with with Hamas. And yesterday he chose to bizarrely attempt to humiliate the current prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, because he was given bizarre information that after his loss in the 2020 election that Netanyahu rushed to congratulate Biden, which of course is not true. He's one of the last world leaders actually to congratulate Biden. In any case, here was Donald Trump going after Netanyahu personally in the middle of a war and talking about how Hezbollah is smart for attacking from the north, which is weird since there is literally no other place that Hezbollah could attack from. They're located in the north of Israel. That's like, that's like suggesting that Mexico would be smart if they attacked America from the south. Like where else would they attack from? They're, they're south of us. Like what, what? Here we go. But I'll never forget... I'll never forget that Bibi Netanyahu let us down. That was a very terrible thing. I will say that. And uh, so when I see uh, sometimes uh, the intelligence, you talk about the intelligence or you talk about some of the things that went wrong over the last week, uh, they've got to straighten it out because they're fighting potentially a very big force. They're fighting potentially Iran. And when they have people saying the wrong things. Everything they say is being digested by these people because they're vicious and they're smart. And boy, are they vicious because nobody's ever seen the kind of sight that we've seen. Nobody's ever seen it. But they cannot play games. So we were disappointed by that, very disappointed. But we did the job ourselves, and it was absolute precision, magnificent, beautiful job. And then uh, Bibi tried to take credit for it. That wasn't good. That didn't make me feel too good, but that's all right. So they got to strengthen themselves up. What, what is what? All right. I mean, OK. And President Trump, again, nothing but gratitude for President Trump as a, as a Jew and as an American. Nothing but gratitude for President Trump. I wish you were president right now. Um, but the, the, the fact of the matter is that uh, that is that is bizarre, bizarre stuff and attacking the prime minister in a current time of war with a unity government in Israel, by the way, with a bunch of people who disagree. But they do agree on the survival of the Jewish state uh, is a is a very bizarre move. And meanwhile, the left is doing what the left does. They are they are moving predictably into anti-Israel territory. Bernie Sanders, who, as I have said before, is about as Jewish as a ham sandwich. Uh, he is uh, he continues to be one of the world's worst moral exemplars. He put out a statement saying, right now, the international community must focus on reducing humanitarian suffering and protecting innocent people on both sides of this conflict. The targeting of civilians is a war crime, no matter who does it. Israel's blanket denial of food, water, and other necessities to Gaza is a serious violation of international law and will do nothing but harm innocent civilians. So again, just to point out here, this is Bernie Sanders standing for Hamas and suggesting that Israel should not be able to pursue any of its own military ends because Hamas has put its own civilians in harm's way. Bernie Sanders says, the United States has rightly offered solidarity and support to Israel in responding to Hamas's attack, but we must insist on restraint from Israeli forces attacking Gaza and work to secure UN humanitarian access. Let us not forget that half of the two million people in Gaza are children. Children and innocent people do not deserve to be punished for the acts of Hamas. That's true. You know, it'd be amazing if Hamas didn't put them directly in the line of fire. Again, who is responsible for the human rights atrocity? The person who puts the child in the line of fire because they're a terrorist or the person who tries to kill the terrorist and accidentally hit, hits the child too? Who, who's responsible for that precisely? According to Bernie, obviously the problem is Israel. Meanwhile, Democrats still having trouble condemning the squad for their consistently pro-Hamas stance. Representative Dan Goldman, uh, he uh, refused to throw Rashida Tlaib under the bus the other day because, of course, why would he? Why would he? I mean, she is a Democrat. Ellison, she has a Palestinian flag. She's Palestinian. Um, but what you just said seems like it's a pretty easy answer uh, about the difference between Palestinians and Hamas, and yet uh, some members in your caucus are, are choosing not to say that. 
Well, look, uh, everyone comes to Congress with their own lived experiences, and Rashida Tlaib is Palestinian-American. So she has family in uh, the Palestinian territories and has a particular view. Uh, but she, she is one person. She does not represent the Democratic Party. And what you are hearing from the leaders of the Democratic Party, no one more emphatic than President Biden yesterday, who gave one of the most stirring and pro-Israel speeches that any president has ever given, is that the Democratic Party stands firmly mm. behind Israel. Okay, I also noticed that you're not willing to um, to throw Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar open terror supporters out of your caucus. I noticed that as well. Gretchen Whitmer doing the same sort of nonsense. So Gretchen Whitmer, of course, is the uh, governor of Michigan, and she put out a statement calling for peace and uh, and said literally nothing about what had actually happened to the Jews. So apparently she did not name Israel in her statement. She also did not condemn Hamas or its terrorism in her statement. Instead, she said, we need peace in the region. Uh, and then she followed up with a second post that said that her support for Israel is steadfast. She also failed to mention Hamas in that post. And of course, none of that is particularly surprising from some of the radical Democrats and people who are who are operating at the behest of radical Islamic fundamentalists, including people like Ilhan Omar. Meanwhile, left wing protesters across the nation are, are it is amazing. I mean, like they're just saying it all out in the open and we're all supposed to pretend that it's not happening. One of the one of the rallies that took place yesterday was UW students, this would be University of Wisconsin students, who were apparently chanting glory to the martyrs yesterday. That's, uh, the, that's The martyrs, by the way, would be the people who murdered Jews in their beds. Glory to the martyrs! Glory to the martyrs! Do you know what you say when we say, we will liberate the land! There you go. We will liberate the land by any means necessary. We will liberate the land! By any means necessary. By any means necessary. By any means necessary, including the uh, complete extirpation of every Jew from the region. Meanwhile, Zarina Grewal, an American studies professor at Yale, defended tactics used by Hamas. Quote, settlers are not civilians. This is not hard. That was in response to a Sky News journalist saying civilians are civilians are civilians, doesn't matter where. Settlers are not civilians. Now, let me point out here at this point that um, even if you believe that were true, which is utter complete lie, that Jews living in, say, Efrat deserve to be murdered because they're living in Efrat. If, even if you believe that lie because you're a sicko, the Jews who were murdered here were not living in the settlements. The Jews who were murdered here were living in the Negev, in the area surrounding the Gaza border, which has been Israeli territory since 1947-48. That's, so you're evil. You just want Jews to die. You just want Jews to die. That's all. The academic wrote on Saturday morning, quote, my heart is in my throat. Prayers for Palestine. Israel is a murderous, genocidal settler state. Palestinians have the right to resist through armed struggle, solidarity, hashtag free Palestine. That was in the middle of the attack. That was in the middle of the attack. Uh, this, this, again, particular professor, she's a historical anthropologist and a documentary filmmaker. She has received research funding from both the Fulbright and the Luce Foundations. About 20,000 People have now signed a petition for Yale to remove that professor. That is not cancel culture. It's not cancel. Like supporting Al-Qaeda seems like that. Supporting Hamas, supporting actual genocidal terror groups seems like that might be, you know, worthwhile for those people to not have jobs. Uh, you know, I, don't, I don't feel like anybody has the obligation to hire somebody uh, who supports a, an open terror group. I don't know. It, it, call me weird. I just don't, I don't think that it's their obligation. Meanwhile, the media already shifting into the anti-Israel position as they congenitally were predisposed to do. The BBC has now said that they are going to refuse to call Hamas terrorists terrorists. John Simpson, who is the world affairs editor, who has routinely used the word terrorist to describe people in his own Twitter account, he says BBC will not be using the word terrorist to describe Hamas terrorists. Quote, terrorism is a loaded word, which people use about an outfit they disapprove of morally. It's simply not the BBC's job to tell people who to support and who to condemn. Who are the good guys and who are the bad guys? Oh, is that uh, uh, really... My, really, like I, I assume the word terrorist has a definition, but I'm noticing that you don't apply that definition to actual terrorists when those terrorists are murdering Jews. I just noticed this, of course, follows hard on the widespread media questions about exactly what happens. There, there are all these people online who are, are and, and this is now kind of the new normal is in the aftermath of every tragedy because of institutional distrust. There are people who are like, do we really know that Jewish babies were murdered? Yeah, we know that Jewish babies were murdered. But if you demand pictorial proof, here it is. Get ready, folks. Here's your warning. You're about to see a picture of a dead baby. This is a baby who was murdered by Hamas. That is it. That is a dead child. So um, 
To be sure, not beheaded, but but still dead, I noticed. So um, obviously, obviously Hamas, they're, they're okay now because, because this baby has, the head is still attached to the body. But I did notice that this baby is dead. That, that's what I noticed. And that was a baby who was, um, who was killed for the crime of living in a Jewish community and being Jewish. If that, if, was that picture of the, the dead baby enough for you? If it wasn't enough for you, I have, another, I have another picture of a dead baby. This one charred beyond all recognition, burned. So, um, yes, this is for all of you who needed pictorial representation of dead Jewish babies in order for you to understand the evil of Hamas. This is for you. Meanwhile, the press immediately shifting into context mode, the sophisticates. Ah, the sophist- Thomas Friedman, who is uh, one of the world's most amoral, pathetic human beings. Thomas Friedman is just gross. And first of all, he's a moron. And his entire career consists of dr- going to random countries and listening to taxi drivers. If ever automated Uber became a thing in foreign countries, Thomas Friedman would automatically be out of a job. Because all he does is just go and talks like, here's a man who runs a pita stand. What does he have to say about foreign policy? And now I know because I'm Thomas Friedman. So he has an entire piece titled, Israel has never needed to be smarter than in this moment. And the entire piece is an apology for what just happened. He says, I've covered this conflict for almost 50 years. I've seen Israelis and Palestinians do a lot of awful things to one another. Palestinian suicide bombers blowing up Israeli discos and buses. Israeli fighter jets hitting neighborhoods in Gaza that house Hamas fighters, but also causing massive civilian casualties. So let me just notice right off the bat that the guy's a moral tool. Those are not the same thing. Those are not the same thing. If you hit a Hamas target and they put kids in the Hamas target, that is not the same thing. But it's, you know, just people doing, somebody did something, as Ilhan Omar might say. But don't worry, the entire article is about how, really, this is about Netanyahu. This is about Bibi. It's about the Israelis, of course. Well, this operation was surely planned by Hamas leaders months ago. I think its emotional origin, says Thomas Friedman, can be explained in part by a photograph that appeared in the Israeli press on October 3rd. Well, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So they say they've been planning this for two years. And you say that a photo that came out October 3rd is what drove it. What was the photo? A few Israeli government ministers had gone to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia for their first official visit ever. And there was a photo. The photo was taken by the team of Israel's communications minister, Shlomo Karhi, who was attending a UN postal conference in Riyadh. And they were conducting a prayer service. One of them took a picture of a colleague wearing a traditional Jewish prayer shawl and a yarmulke while holding up a Torah scroll with the Riyadh skyline in the window beyond. That photo ignites a powerful and emotional rage in many Palestinians, says Thomas Friedman. So Israel should not pursue peace with the Saudis because it might piss off terrorists, is Thomas Friedman's take. For them, that picture is the full expression of the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's supreme goal to prove to all naysayers, indeed to rub their noses in the fact that he can make peace with the Arab states, even Saudi Arabia, and not have to give the Palestinians a single inch. See, here's the thing. Thomas Friedman is in the crowd of people who would rather not see peace in the Middle East and see conflict continue so long as he can be proved right in his bizarre notion of the centrality of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. He wants to be proven right more than he wants people to live. That that is seriously Thomas Friedman's position in all of this. And that is the position of so many of these sophisticates. And if it takes a few dead Jews and a bunch of dead people in Gaza to prove that, well, he's okay with that. He's okay. After all, it's Bibi's fault, probably. It's just, it's absolutely pathetic. On its face, it's pathetic. Uh, Best response of the day, credit to uh, Israel's president, Isaac Herzog. He's known as Bougie Herzog. He's a a non-political figure in Israel. The president of Israel is more of a ceremonial figure, sort of like the Queen of England or something. He has the ability to green light the formation of a coalition government. That's pretty much all he does. And uh, he was giving a press conference about what happened. And CNN went full CNN, started talking about how Israel is engaging in collective punishment. It's collective punishment because, of course, when, when terrorists honeycomb themselves in a civilian population, it is now the job of the people who were murdered to, to give up and surrender, probably. So you let the inhumanity of your opponent make you surrender and apparently lie prostrate at their feet. So uh, the pre- President Herzog was having none of that. Here he was yesterday going after CNN in, in colorful and uh, much deserved fashion. But listening to your answers in the last few minutes, I'm a little confused because on one hand you say that Israel abides by the rules of war and is very careful to avoid the loss of civilian life in the Gaza Strip. But at the same time, you seem to hold the people of Gaza responsible for not trying to remove No, well, I'll Hamas. tell you. Now, let me finish. Do you my hold question. a missile in your kitchen, in your living room? Let, can I ask my question? A sir? missile that is sent on our head here, and if there will be a siren, it's a missile from okay. that kitchen. My, my question is this, if I may. You seem to hold the people of Gaza, the civilians of Gaza, responsible for not removing Hamas, and therefore, by implication, that makes them 
legitimate targets. No, I didn't say that. But I did not say that. I want to make it clear. I was asked something about separating civilians from Hamas. But with all due respect, with all due respect, if you have a missile in your damn kitchen and you want to shoot it at me, am I allowed to defend myself? Yes. No one That's is, the situation. No one is denying the These right missiles are there. These missiles are launched. The button is pressed. Okay. The missile comes out from the kitchen onto my children. Well, President Herzog is, of course, exactly right about all. By, by the way, a member of the Labor Party. I know Isaac Herzog. Really, really good guy. He and I disagree about a lot politically. He is on the left in Israeli politics. He, is a, he, was, a, he was a Labor candidate. Okay, understand that there is no gap in Israel right now. The gap disappeared. All of those fractures, they came together immediately when 1,300 Jews are murdered. As well they should. And the entire world, you're all hypocrites. Let me just say that. If this happened in your country, if it, ha- if it happened in the United States, if it happened in Britain, if it happened in France, if it happened in Germany, if it happened in any of these other countries, do you think they would be sitting there saying, oh, well, you know, we really have to be careful about turning off the water and the power for a few days. We really have to, you know, th- this is, we, we have to, such restraint we have to show. We have to show. Let me explain something. In the United States after 9-11, we took down two countries. Two of them. We occupied Afghanistan for 20 years. We occupied Iraq for 15 years. That was in response to 3,000 dead. All Israel wants here is the ability to wipe out the terrorists and then to leave. Do you think they want to be building it in Gaza City? They tried to hand the Gaza Strip over to the Egyptians just as they tried to hand over Palestinian areas of Judea and Samaria to the Jordanians. And you know what those countries said? They said, Fuck no, we don't want that. So th- this, this bizarre notion that Israel has to be held to a standard that no honorable nation would hold itself to is purely anti-Semitic. That's the only rationale for this. It's the only rationale. No one else on earth would be talking like this. It's absolutely absurd. It's absurd. And the, the amount of attention and, and sort of harsh pressure that is put on, on Israel, not to, not to take the action necessary to secure its own future. You think that kind of pressure is being put on Ukraine in terms of the human rights? Do you think that kind of pressure is put on, hell, China in terms of what China does? It's, 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 absolute, it's absolute madness. And the fact that the, the, it only happens one place on earth and everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. There is not a Western nation that would be held to the standard. Everyone knows it. And what's even more appalling is that Israel knows it and Israel abides by it. That's the part that's absolutely appalling. I'm talking to Israelis on the ground every single day. And they're getting ready to go in on the ground by foot in an attempt to minimize civilian casualties. Israel does this all the time. I've seen footage from the IAF showing them holding off on hitting particular targets because there are too many civilians around. They've been doing that for years. You know what they can't do right now? That. They need to kill the bad guys. And if the rest of the world can't take it, well, grow the f*** up. Because the reality is the Jews in Israel are not going to go quietly. The Jews in Israel are not going to acquiesce in their own mass murder. No one should have to. This is a universal human message. You should not have to, as a Western citizen, sit there and be told that your government does not have the duty and the right to protect you from mass murder in your own kitchen. The fact that this is, this is the culmination of decades of absurd Western nonsense that has been applied, applied predominantly to Israel. You see it applied to the United States too. You see it applied to the UK a little bit, but predominantly to Israel because Israel lives in the neighborhood. And so that means it comes up a lot more often with Israel. But this, again, all the people in the media who are, who are deeply concerned about the humanitarian crisis in Gaza as Israel attempts to kill terrorists and simultaneously tell civilians to get out. All those same people who are, who are chiding Israel today, all those same people, if somebody came into their home and murdered their children and raped their wives and dragged them off to some hellhole somewhere, how much do you think they would be concerned about, you know, the temporary stoppage of water and power? Absolutely ridiculous. Well, folks, there are a lot of people asking how they can help Israeli citizens right now, help Jews on the ground, Christians, Muslims, all people who are unifying to fight Hamas or who have been victimized by Hamas or both. Well, the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews is on the ground right now. They're providing critical essentials like food, medicine, and other emergency supplies for vulnerable Jews who need immediate help 
The need is indeed massive and urgent. It's a great organization. They need your help right now. So if you've been thinking about giving, this is a great way to help out. To donate, please go to ifcj.org. Give as generously as you can. Write it down. That's ifcj.org. Okay, meanwhile, in news that is closer to the United States, Republicans are still squabbling over who should be the House Speaker. So there was an internal election last night inside the, inside the Republican Party. It, it pitted Representative Steve Scalise from Louisiana against Jim Jordan of Ohio. Again, I like both these guys. I know both these guys. Jordan was endorsed by President Trump. He narrowly lost 113 to 99. Now, the big problem is it doesn't matter. The reason it doesn't matter is because they still don't have 217 votes. So they're still not bringing this to the floor. That was just to decide who they bring to the floor as the possible speaker. But in order for any of that to happen, all the Republicans behind the door have to actually get together and acquiesce that whoever they picked in that election, they are now going to vote for. Even if you voted for Jordan, in other words, behind closed doors, now you're going to move out from behind the closed doors and you're going to vote for Scalise. And apparently they don't have that at the moment. Again, it's a very, very narrow victory, Scalise over Jordan. There are a lot of holdouts. Jordan is doing his best to uh, to endorse Scalise. He he basically signaled yesterday that he was going to he was going to move forward. Uh, he, now he has not clearly come out so far, according to the Wall Street Journal, and publicly thrown himself behind Scalise. But even if he would, that is no guarantee because again, there's a massive collective action problem inside the Republican Party. All it takes is like four Republicans in order to throw the entire house into chaos some more. This is why this is so stupid. So, so they ousted McCarthy to put in Steve Scalise, who has a nearly identical voting record with McCarthy and who would pursue many of the same exact policies as McCarthy. That's what they just did. So I, I failed to see how this advanced the ball at all, which is why I opposed it in the first place. It's stupid. If you're going to make a political Machiavellian manipulation to get rid of the Speaker of the House, you better damn well have a backup plan where you actually win some concessions. Apparently, Thomas Massey is now estimating there are at least 20 House Republicans who will not vote for Scalise on the floor. He says it will be even more difficult for Scalise to win a majority than it was for McCarthy in January. Some lawmakers were frustrated Wednesday by an internal vote earlier in the day blocking a proposal that would have required the winning candidate to secure 217 votes rather than simply have the most votes of any candidate. Allies of Scalise had been lobbying against the rules change. So again, their idea was that the winning candidate would have to be able to get a majority. And they're like, nah, we'll have an internal vote for no reason. And then we'll try to figure it out afterward. That's going great. And then this is, this is all going to go really, really well. Matt Gates, for his, for his own sake, who led this charge, he said he'll support either one of them. Eli Crane, another one, has said that he would support either Jordan or Scalise. But don't worry. There are, uh, there are a few people who are saying that they will not vote for Scalise, among them the attention getting Nancy Mace. Uh, I don't know why Nancy Mace thinks that she needs to be on camera all the time lately. But um, again, when you have a narrow majority, one of the things that you get to do is posture and preen for the camera. So Nancy Mace inexplicably joined the chorus of people who provided for McCarthy's ouster. She did so on the grounds that McCarthy was too conservative. So good luck getting her on board for Steve Scalise. So the other day, she decided, don't worry, guys, this is all just humble public servants being humble public servants. So Nancy Mace decided to wear a, um, a, a white T-shirt with the, uh, or a white, what, what would you call this shirt, Savvy? It's not a blouse. It's effectively a tube top. It's not a tube top, right? It's really tight. Uh, in any case, she, she's, wearing a, she's wearing like a white T-shirt, a fairly tight white T-shirt that says, uh, that has a giant red A on it. Don't worry, guys. They're just humble public servants seeking to do your bidding. And the, the seriousness of what happens in the world juxtaposed with the idiocy of our political class is really, truly something to behold. It truly is. I'm like all sides. If serious things happening in the world, pending regional war in the Middle East, a continuing Ukraine war, global economic slowdown, you have all these serious things happening. And meanwhile, in the United States, we're running a three-ring circus with multiple clowns of all parties. It's, it's, it's bewildering and insane and frustrating. Now, here is Nancy Mace clowning around. She wore a scarlet A because she's just like Hester Prynne, you see. I'm not sure who she committed adultery with, um, but um, she's just like Hester Prynne, she explains. I'm wearing the scarlet letter after the week that I just had last week, being a woman up here and being demonized for my vote and for my voice. I'm here to let the rest of the world know and the country know I'm on the side of the people. I'm not on the side of the establishment. And I'm going to do the right thing every single time, no matter the consequences, because I don't answer to anybody in D.C. I don't answer anyone in Washington. I only answer to the people. Um, so I am. Um, uh, what? So then why are you doing this? So then she says after the vote for Scalise that she's going to vote for Jim Jordan. And she 
this is this is a lady who apparently just wants to be on CNN a lot. So here she was on CNN. You endorsed uh, Jim Jordan, so I'm assuming you voted for Jim Jordan today. If the vote for speaker were today, would you vote for Steve Scalise? I would not. I plan on voting for Jim Jordan on the floor. Um, I've been very vocal about this over the last couple of days. I personally cannot in good conscience vote for someone who attended a white supremacist conference and compared himself to David Duke. I would be doing an enormous disservice to the voters that I represent in South Carolina if I were to do that. Okay, all of this is slanderous nonsense. The, the, the notion that he compared himself to David Duke is secondhand talk from like the mid-1990s. That was a charge that young Scalise described his platform as similar to Duke's during a personal conversation with fellow LSU alum Stephanie Grace. Grace apparently neither recorded nor published the statement. She trotted out many years later, quote unquote, going from memory, according to Stephen Voss, who writes about this in the Missouri Independent. As far as the, the notion that he spoke at like a white supremacist conference, he was asked by his, his middle of the political race, he was asked to speak for 15 minutes about taxes at a conference with a name. In the middle of a political race, he stopped, he spoke, he left. That, that is the extent of this. It's all attention getting crap. And honestly, we have, we have a super, super unserious political class, a deeply unserious political class. We have serious problems in the world. We need a better class of politician. We need a better class of people. And by the way, if you're a voter, we need a better class of voter. Like, like level up everybody, level up. Start electing people who actually have some semblance of brains. The rest of the show continues right now. We're talking with Ambassador Danny Danon. He is the former UN ambassador for Israel. Head on over to Daily Wire Plus to watch. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 